One activity I enjoyed with my brother and sister when we were kids was uh, taking cushions from the lounge, getting some sheets and blankets, and building the fort. Who else was in the massive fort construction business? Yes, fun stuff. Like, if my parents ever bought white goods, we were all over that box, and we were going to we cut flaps for doors, and it was a bit more stable that way, and we got a lot of enjoyment out of it, probably much more enjoyment than we got out of the stove or the dishwasher that was in that box. And we've all seen this, right? You buy someone, you buy especially a child a gift, and they spend more time and seemingly more initial enjoyment from the box than the gift, and we just think, man, next time I'll just buy a box. Um, and when I think of the gifts that God's given us, I think we can resemble kids who do that, who, who, who are quite taken with the box, um, more than appreciating what's, what is actually the gift. And we can, God has given us so much, and we've read about how he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and yet we can be quite enamored with the box that's empty. The thing that's not going to last, it's going to break down, it's going to be thrown out. Uh, it's not going to endure. But the spiritual blessings God gives, they're practical. They're enduring. They're forever. And it's something that he gives us. And, and some of those gifts we actually grow into. We begin to cultivate more. But they're always practical. And that's what I love about what God gives. And here's a question. When we pray, do we take into account what God has given us? Do we take that into account, um, what he has already given and who he is, and we can be like those who are doing the equivalent of begging for a loan to buy groceries at the shops when we have a million dollars in our joint account. Like almost hopelessly begging for like, Lord, don't leave me. And he's saying, I'll never leave or forsake you. He's already said that. So it's, he's going to make good on his word. Do we, do we think about what he said? Do we consider what he's promised? And in faith... We are moved to pray and appropriate all the things God has given, to actually use the thing he supplied. And in this book, we've already seen many blessings that there's 10 of them right off the bat that we talked about last week, that we have as Christians been chosen and elected by God, that our heavenly destination is secure. So there's security, um, that we've been adopted as God's children, that we've been accepted in the beloved and how precious that is. We've received grace, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, knowledge of God's will, and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. These are things we have received. Let's go, wow, that is, and this is just the beginning of the things God has given. And our text, so the text we talked about last week, that was uh, verses 3 through 14. That's a sentence in the Greek. And today, it's another sentence in the Greek, which finishes out the chapter, verses 15 to 23. And for context, I'm just going to read through the whole passage, and then we can, we, we see that it's beginning with the word therefore. So it's hearkening back to all the things that he's already established, saying you've received this from God, you've been adopted by God, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, you've been forgiven by God. And in light of that, this is what we're going to say. So Ephesians 1 verse 15, he writes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the promises that you have given, the blessings you have provided, such grace you have shown us, such love. And thank you that you are righteous and merciful, you're compassionate and gracious, and you're just and kind, and we can rely upon you. We can trust in the things that you say, that you're not going to deceive us, you're not going to trick us, you won't lead us astray, you don't laugh when we fall, but you rejoice when we return to you and we repent and we ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see how great you are, that we might know you, regardless of our circumstances, that they would not press upon us and distract us from what you intend to say. Thank you, Lord, that your purposes will be fulfilled in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul, he begins saying, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The lives of the Ephesians that bore evidence that they were children of God because of the love that they had for one another. Just like a child bears a physical resemblance to his parents, uh, we as Christians bear resemblance to Christ because of the love that we have for one another. A healthy relationship with God leads to healthy relationships with people, loving relationships where we are those who are loving and kind. And, and also prayer will mark that because that's our primary way of communing with the Lord. He speaks to us. We speak with him. And there's a lot of empty religions which there's prayer involved, right? The chanting or, or the, the mantras and the different things that people do to pray to deities that cannot hear and cannot answer. And the prophets of Baal is a perfect example. King Ahab's prophets, they, they cut themselves. They were dancing. They were shouting. They were trying to get their God's attention to bring fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. And all day long they did this without an answer. And Elijah, after he put the wood in order and at the right time of the evening sacrifice, he said, let's pray. And he spoke two sentences quietly and the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the water that had been poured into the trench. When, we draw, when we're born, we draw our first, first breaths of oxygen. It's hard to say. I never really knew. I, it's easy to type. It's not so easy to say. Um, when we're born again, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're given a capacity to pray like we never had before to know God's will, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. And a baby's not breathing oxygen in the womb, but once born is breathing, and that's the same thing with us. Before we knew God, we had no capacity to pray, but now we can pray knowing His will and doing what pleases Him, and we have this fellowship, we have this communion with Him, and it's God's will that we would pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 
It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Your heart, it beats without ceasing. You breathe and you think without ceasing. There's always something going through our heads. Um, And some of us have mastered the ability to talk without ceasing. Um, Lori's not here to weigh in on that one, but... It's God's will that people would rejoice, that God's people would pray without ceasing, that they would give thanks in everything, that we would have that heart. In, because if we're rejoicing in everything, if we're praying without ceasing, then we're believing that, that God is in control, that God is good, that He's hearing me pray, and it's worthy to give thanks to Him regardless of how I feel. So that, that's faith in action, praying, even when things are hard, especially when things are hard. Jesus was a man marked with prayer. He prayed to the Father. The disciples of Jesus, Paul, they also were marked with prayer. And Paul, when he heard of the love and the faith in God's people, he says, I do not cease thanking God for you. And this, as I was studying this passage, it just exposed in my own life the meager subjects and capacity for prayer that it's good to spend time with prayer if we just measure how much time we spend in prayer, that god hears us because of our amount of speaking or the amount of time um we're missing something it is good to spend time in prayer but god cares about the content that we'd be listening we'd be seeking him according to his will in faith Now, if you're anything like me, I tend to pray and intercede on behalf of people that I know are having a hard time or they're struggling with something. That's fine to do. But what about when you hear something that's great, something that's really good? Do you take time to pause and thank God for that person, to thank God for that love that you're seeing displayed, for that faith that's evident in their life? There is a redemptive aspect to prayer uh, in praying for trials and difficulties because perhaps that has us praying for people that we wouldn't be praying for otherwise. When you hear of a tragedy in the world, you might be praying for people in, in Uganda that you wouldn't have been praying for, people that you don't even know that God can actually do something powerful and miraculous because now you're praying for them because you heard of a need. That's great. But let's make a practice like Paul did of praying a, a prayer of thanksgiving, not just when there was a need, Uh, that was evident, but because he was grateful to God. Um, And so often, man, my prayers can be limited to, to God fixing a supposed problem the way I think he should. Do you guys relate to that? You see a problem, you say, if this was different, things would be better. So I'm going to pray for that thing to happen, that God would do this one thing. And it's very arbitrary, and it's often selfish, and it's not led by faith. Or someone says, pray this for me. But have you asked God, is this what you want me to pray for them? We need to trust God that he, he is sovereign and he is good and we can trust him, that he cares for us. And instead of trotting out the same requests day by day, let's, let's thank God too for those circumstances that we're praying that he intervene because intervention is necessary. Let's trust him And in thanking God for the Ephesians, let's see what he now prays for them. 
verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The content of your prayer, it speaks to your priorities. When we pray, do we limit the content to basically temporary things that will pass away or they'll change? Things like good health and physical protection and provision of food and and transportation or to sleep well at night. All these things, gifts from God and a blessing from the Lord to receive. If we just leave our prayers there, we haven't touched on anything that's enduring. Not one of those things is going to endure as useful and necessary as they are today. I suspect that some of the things that Paul prays for these people, they're not things that we often think about. We may not even understand what he's saying when he says, this is what I'm praying for you. And God hasn't recorded these things for us, so we feel pretty lame about our praying. Oh, man, I'm so terrible. Man, I've, I've been praying for this. I'm praying for that. And, um, no, that, that's not why. But to reveal, there's, a, there's an ocean of prayer that exists that we have not yet explored, that he's inviting us to jump into. And to say, explore this concept of thanking me for people. Explore this idea of giving thanks in everything. Trusting that the thing that I'm allowing, it is going to work for your good. The things that Paul prays for They transcend the temporary needs of individuals. All right. Going to the backup. Sorry about that. Things that he could have been praying for them about. Because these are people who were facing persecution. They were facing hard times. And so he doesn't pray, Lord, help the persecution to stop. Lord, help them to have strength. Well, didn't they have strength in God? Couldn't they stand in Christ, as we'll see in chapter 6? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. They had strength because they have God. He was with them. So he's praying for things. Everything that he prays about, it's all eternal. It's all a spiritual blessing that he wants these people to understand. And a lot of it is about what they know. He's like, I want them, Lord, help them to know this thing. Because if they know this about you, it's going to impact the way they pray and the way that they live. So compare the things that Paul is praying for to the things that you might pray for. I was really challenged with this. I think it's great. It's a wonderful challenge because there's so much that God desires to reveal himself about us so that we can know him, not just to receive things from him, and that he is the only divine source of wisdom and that we need him to open our eyes to help us to see what the truth is. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. You can pray for hours on end. But it's empty without faith in God that he's going to reveal himself to you not on the basis of your effort, but because he's gracious and because you trust in him. When it talks about wisdom and revelation, the Bible has many uh, revelations of future events. But more important than a systematic theology of eschatology or an exercise of a prophetic gift is knowing the Lord Jesus, 
knowing him. Because if you know him, it'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you react to issues that, that you won't even see as issues anymore. Because he's God and you know him. And you know that he knows you. Isn't that awesome? When Paul went to the church in Corinth, he talked about his approach in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Faith in Christ, Christ crucified, that was the simple message that Paul gave. He didn't uh, fire up the people, get them emotionally uh, excited about the things he was saying. He didn't try to pump them up. But in weakness, he taught by the power of God. And the fact that he didn't use the methods of the world, but he just spoke to them, he says, in fear and trembling. And there was such a transformation in the people that, that they put aside their idols and they served the living God. He didn't threaten them. He didn't browbeat them. He didn't guilt them. He just spoke the gospel. And it just had a transformative impact in their life. So they couldn't say, well, Paul, you know, when he talks to you, you just, he's a big guy. You've got to listen to him. Like he's intimidating. No, it was this guy who was in weakness and fear and trembling. And yet the power of God was so evident in his life by the, the change in the people. And that he didn't rely on his own strength to get a reaction from people. He trusted God and God did a work, mighty work. I like the verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10. He quotes Isaiah 64, 4. When we talk about revelation, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And then he puts a little twist on it. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So there's things of God that cannot be known. But God has revealed them those things previously unknown by his spirit, the spirit who dwells in, within us today. He prayed for the eyes of their understanding to be opened. You guys have seen that old Disney cartoon, Dumbo, maybe? So anyway, in Dumbo, undersized elephant, oversized ears. He's kind of bearing the brunt of mockery of all the other elephants in the circus. He's a bit clumsy. He's tripping over his ears all the time. And uh, he wakes up in a tree one day, and there's all these crows, and they're saying, hey, well, here's this magic feather, and if you hold this, you can fly. Now, of course, there's no power. It, it was his massive ears. The power was within him. It's a bit humanistic in that sense. But, so he had the power and the ability to fly already, but it was this little magic feather that he held onto that gave him the confidence to try. Because the only time he had flown was he was a bit, I think uh, he had been... I think he was a bit uh, inebriated at that time. So anyway, moving on, <laughs> he, he flies and, and he's able to do it. And of course, he has to lose the feather to realize that it's not in the feather at all. It's really in, in his own ears that give him that ability. And so often we can place our confidence in, in other people or in a system or in a method rather than knowing God and trusting him having all of, our, all of our confidence in him, not in ourselves. And it's often because we're ignorant of who God is, what he's done, 
what he's promised, and how we are to live. Think of all the secrets contained in the universe. Every day we, we see something or hear something we've never heard before. It could be something in current events. It could be a little fact. You're like, wow, I never knew that. I never knew how, that's, how that worked or who designed that or when that happened. I mean, and, and the universe is vast, but it's limited. But God, he's infinite in wisdom and power and grace and love, and there is so much yet to be explored in him. We need a revelation of God. Those who believe in him need a revelation of God. Paul prayed that believers would know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I'm struck that there was that major riot in Ephesus. Christians were the target of that. And instead of praying for help or respite from their trial, he prayed, Lord, help them to know the hope of your calling. Like, I was like, whoa, that just came from nowhere for someone who is in need, right? This is what they need. Because if they realize that there is a hope of Christ's calling, and they realize the one who has called them and the one who has made them secure, nothing can shake them. Nothing can destroy their faith. And it may not seem practical on the surface, but enduring knowledge of God, the expectancy of heaven in the midst of trials, that's awesome when God gives that. When you're feeling overlooked, when you're feeling alone and forgotten, know that God has called you by name and he has a future for you. The riches of the kingdom are are ours, but he's going to glorify us one day as his own inheritance. We are its chosen inheritance and he is ours. Think how differently you would see your circumstances if you really understood the goodness of God and the eternal plans that through those things he's bringing to fruition. Now, we don't like the way. We say, can't there be another way? We don't, we don't really like this way. It's uncomfortable. It's confronting. It's difficult. But knowing that God is good and I am not is really helpful to find rest even in trials. That I've already been claimed by him. I've been called by him. I've been purchased by him. And I can be Rejoicing in any circumstance because I know it's through that that he is bringing, his, uh, he's bringing it to fruition and to completion. Receiving a surprise inheritance of a billion dollars might be one of your favorite dreams. Anyone have a fantasy like that? Like, you, you know it's a fantasy. You know it's not going to happen. But, hey, it'd be nice if it would. I remember a guy at work is like, Ben, do you play lotto? And I don't know, it was up to 30 or $50 million. And I'm like, no, I don't play. And he's like, well, Ben, if you won, what would you do? I said, man, I'd probably just get a new driveway. Ben, new driveway? You could buy a new house. You could buy a whole block. What? What's wrong with you? That's just something I had never really entertained. But, hey, that he had obviously entertained that what kind of boat he would have and where he would live and where he'd have houses dotted all over the globe where he could say, you know, it's a little hot today. I'm going to go to, you know, this cool place. And, um, but, you know, when it's just about the stuff you get and the places you go to and the things you experience, that's like playing with the empty box. They, those things end. There's a limit to them. 
There's going to be a day when all that will be completely forgotten because we're going to be in heaven in the presence of God, uh, fulfilling his eternal purpose for which he's created us. Let's think about, wow, change my perspective, God, to see things your way. This is glorious truth by faith. We enter in today. That's much more security and prosperity than any amount of money can promise you. Many of these things that Paul prayed were for believers to know and take to heart. And there's a difference between knowing a fact and making it a reality in your life. Just like food. You can look at the food. It looks great. I believe that it does supply nutrition. But the only way it's going to do you any good is if you eat it. You have to swallow it down and it has to enter your body and then give strength to the whole body. So we can see what God says. Rejoice. Um, in every situation. And we know what's God's will for me, that I would in everything give thanks. And it's not until we put that into practice that we're beginning to walk in faith, as he has said, and we'll receive the spiritual vitality he promises us. So the way we think, it's really important that uh, we, we don't allow how we feel to overrule that. It's kind of like when you have a career and a job and you're, you have a responsibility um, and, and you may not feel like going to work. You may, not like, you may not feel like doing the dishes. There's a lot of things you may not feel like doing, but you know they're good things and you'll be glad when they're done, right? So it's the thinking about it and the knowledge of the benefit of doing it that helps you push through actually doing the thing. The, the boys are watching The Great Escape this week and uh, the old uh, movie where the, the prisoners of war, all these officers, they planned this, this escape based on a true story in World War II. And they, there's an elaborate amount of work that went into this tunnel and the clothing and forging documents and getting everything just right. And 76 prisoners escaped through this long tunnel. But in the movie, Danny, one of the tunnel kings. So this is a guy who's been in the tunnel He's dug all the way through the tunnel. The reason why he dug the tunnel is because he wanted to escape through the tunnel, but he's claustrophobic. Ever since he was a child, he's afraid of small places, and and the dirt kept collapsing on him. And finally, I mean, it's on the day when they're going to be leaving, and he's like, that's it, I'm out of here. And he leaves the tunnel and goes back into the barracks. His buddy, Willie, the other tunnel king, comes up to him and says, hey, look, listen to me. He starts pleading with them. Listen. You've done the tunnel. You've toiled in that tunnel. But we have to go through the tunnel to be free. And if you get through the tunnel, you can go back home. You can go back to England. You can go do these things. And so Danny's listening to him, and he's like, all right. So he's, he says, I cannot be in this tunnel for another second. That's the mindset he was in. But after thinking about what the tunnel would lead to, He was able to voluntarily go back in the tunnel, endure, and run to freedom. It was the thought of a future better than being in the tunnel that allowed him to push through what he could not do. He says, I can't do it. I can't do it. You can do it. And this is not to give us a self-empowering theme. This is to say, with God, all things are possible. The things that you don't feel like you can do, God can accomplish through you because he can do everything. He is an awesome, powerful God as, we're, as we know and as we will see. 
Now, his future, the future was an uncertain future for Danny, right? It's like, even if he gets through the tunnel, he could be shot when he sticks his head up, right? He could be caught on a railroad, uh, on a train, 100 miles from that point. So there was still a lot of risk in what was going on. But for us, we have a certain future. We have a certain future in heaven. There's no question about, are we able to be saved? Are we able to be delivered? God will do that. He's promised it. Jesus will never leave or forsake us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, our down payment, and our seal of salvation. And he's going to make good on that. We can trust him. Even when there's a dark tunnel looming ahead, a place that makes us a bit uncomfortable and we don't want to go through it, he will sustain us. He will bring us through. He continues Revelation, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Paul is not finished praying for things that it would be Uh, that it was God's will for Christians to know. And he says, Lord, help them to know the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe. The Greek word here for power is dynamis, which that word has a lot of aspects to it, um, which the first is the exertion of force. So that's power, right, to exert force. Power tools, it enables us, it enables a machine to do work that you don't have to apply that force manually. It's like you have a screwdriver and you have to apply that force to turn that screw. Well, a power tool will enable you to just pull a trigger and it's doing that work. You still have to hold it, of course, but it, and it also, power speaks of the ability to do something or to not do something, like the power of speech. You have the ability to speak and you have the ability to stay silent. Power can be also used to describe legal authority. So if someone has power or jurisdiction, they can make a command or they can arrest you or hold you because they have a legal right to do so. They have the authority. Jesus prayed in Matthew 6.13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So all power, dynamis, it's the same word, All power is God's forever, and his power surpasses all of the forces of nature. He has the ability to do everything far beyond our capacity or understanding. And I like that Paul does not pray for people to be empowered. He doesn't say, Lord, empower them to do this. Christians are empowered by God. That's the only way we can be saved, right? Through God's power. And that's the only way we go on in our walk with Jesus is through his power. So he's like, help them to realize the um, God's power that's working toward them in Christ. The reality is God has exceedingly great power toward us who believe even when we feel or in reality are powerless and overwhelmed. Have you ever felt powerless? think if you have any sense at all, you realize that there are times where you are powerless to do anything. You can't fix everything. Sometimes you can't even fix anything. He 
on the other hand, has all power and ability to do. It says in one, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, Paul's writing to Pastor Timothy, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. It's the same word there. Power, love, and a sound mind. The world is filled with themes of self-empowerment, but God's power is greater than all. Power which is toward us who believe. It's focused upon us. It's in our benefit, uh, for our benefit. And it's not this chest-pounding, pumped-up, self-confident strength, uh, but it's displayed in weakness. When Paul said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That word strong, power. That's the same word. That he had power, even though God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He had strength. He had power because God was with him. When Jesus laid down his life on Calvary, what strength, what resolve, what faith, what power he evidenced in not calling down the legions of angels that were at his disposal. He chose to withhold that and died for our sakes. This revelation from God that in God's strength his, is made perfect in weakness, where he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness, my power, same word, my power is made perfect in weakness. When Paul realized that, it changed the way that he thought about trials and persecutions. He says, I'm going to glory in those things because that's God's power now at work in my life. Paul was strong because of the power of Jesus rested upon him. When you're weak and feeble and you know it and you have no other recourse but to trust God and rely upon his power, that's the moment where his strength is perfected in your life. Now, there's an example provided for us of God's power toward those who believe. It says, in which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. The resurrection of Jesus is something that we're very familiar with. We've talked about. Uh, But it's likely the wonder of what God did in bringing a body that was three days dead back to life again. It may be lost on us because we're so familiar with it. We don't really, oh yeah, the resurrection, oh, the miracles Jesus did. But we don't think about what, what kind of power had to be used to accomplish that, right? There's no physical power known to man that you just put this device on a person who's been dead three days and suddenly they're back and fine, Every, perfectly healed, able to eat and walk. And, uh, you know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't like, hey, guys, mind the wounds. They're a bit sore. You know what I went through. There was no mention of that at all. He wasn't fatigued. He wasn't tired. He wasn't confused or disoriented. He didn't say, hey, I, I got to find a place to sit down. You know, I've had a pretty big week. Nothing like that. I mean, he was glorified. He was perfect beyond what he ever was in the human flesh before. That's the power that was working in Jesus. That's the power that's working in us. So the the limitations of the human flesh, they no longer had any sort of impact upon him. That's great power. When you were born again through trusting in Jesus Christ, that's the power that was at work in you to bring you from being dead in your sins to now being alive in Christ, born again. That's the power that now works in us. 
And we just need to understand that that's the reality, whether we feel like it or not. Last year in July, my family and I visited family and friends in Texas, and we went to uh, NASA in Houston, which was pretty cool. So, I don't know, can you guys see with me here? I can move. But anyway, pretty cool. We saw, um, this is the Saturn V rocket that NASA did a lot of missions with. And uh, I have a picture of it here. So they've reclaimed this. If you look bottom right, there's Zed. So some perspective. It's about 36 stories long. It says, as, as of 2018, the Saturn V remains the tallest, heaviest, and most powerful rocket ever brought to operational status, holds records for the heaviest payload launched and the largest payload capacity. So on the back side of it, so we're now going to go to the back side, um, these individual engines, they weigh about 7,100 kilos. They fired for two and a half minutes and went 41 miles before it dropped off this first stage, reached a speed of 9,700 kilometers an hour. It's pretty quick. It's probably an understage, uh, understatement. So this is the second stage. Okay, this one also was recovered. So this is the second stage. And then you have the third stage. And then the command module. So that's where the people go up here. All that to get people into a low orbit. It's a lot of energy required and a lot of force. The, this is still, even though it's been 50 years retired, is one of the, it's the most powerful engine that's ever been built. They're currently working on a new rocket, which is designed to be more powerful. Now, have you guys ever seen Buck Rogers with his jetpack? This was something else of interest that I saw when I was there. Um, this is the Bell Number 2 rocket belt. And they had designed this, and you've seen it maybe in a James Bond movie or the 1984 um, Olympics where they had a guy with this rocket pe- belt. Uh, it's not really a jet pack because there's no jets. It's just steam that's coming out. With, uh, it's filled with hyd- hydrogen peroxide. And it, the problem is, is, is it could go for 30 seconds. 57 kilos this thing weighs. So they wanted something that they, the military could Someone could actually carry and maybe get them over a wall or over a minefield, and this is what they're thinking. Oh, yeah, this will work. Well, it was not feasible because it says, uh, the belt's rocket motor produced steam. Holding 30 seconds worth of fuel, the rocket belt was not practical for military use. Um, You remember when Jesus ascended to heaven? He didn't have any gear on him. No ropes, pulleys, no rockets, wasn't carrying anything. He lifted off the ground, not just for 30 seconds. He went through the atmosphere, past the moon, out of the solar system, out of the galaxy, out of the universe, and into heaven because of God's power. That's a lot of power. It's an inconceivable amount of power. That's the power of God that lifted him up off the ground. So his ascension, there was power that raised him from the dead. And there was power displayed where he was lifted up off the ground and seated in the heavenly places with the Father. He says, that's the power that's working toward you 
in Christ. I want you to know that. I want you to know that's the power that we're speaking of. Do you think Jesus was flexing his muscles when he was like, all right, long journey ahead? You know, no. There was no flexing, there was no wincing and gritting of the teeth. It was the power of God. Just lifted him off the ground. That's impossible. Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. He didn't need to try to overcome the force of gravity because God's power is far greater. Not so we can do great feats, but so God will do great things in and through us. Jesus was raised, it says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. The word might is that same word for power, dynamis. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So it's eternal power. It's enduring, everlasting power. And he exerts that power towards those who believe. So we need not fear that he is incapable of hearing me. He's incapable of helping me. Too often, I think, I will try to box him in into something he should do because I think it's the right thing instead of trusting him and knowing him, saying, God, you are so awesome. Thank you for helping me to realize your power towards me and how great it is. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Jesus is above all. All authority and power is his. On earth, kings, prime ministers, governors, people in great positions of authority, there's a huge difference because they do not know everyone. They cannot know everything. They certainly can't do everything, and they need support to do anything, right? So if a king, he wants to wage a battle, can he wage a battle without an army? No. So that mighty king, that powerful king, he's, he's hopeless without people to help him. But Jesus is not like that. He knows everything. He knows everyone. He knows those he's called. And he can do everything. And he's able to do it himself because he has all power and all authority and dominion over all things. When we trust in Jesus, it says we're connected to the body of Christ, the church. And being part of the same body, you can decide, you know, all right, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to wiggle my finger. And there's not a lot of, I guess, difficulty in doing that. I I haven't forgotten that I have a hand and that I can move parts of it. And Jesus is the head. He makes decisions and he's able to move us and to empower us to do the things he wants us to. And we only have strength when we abide in him, just like a a branch is connected to the vine. So we're part of his body. We're included in his family. And he strengthens and empowers us to do his will. I love that. Whatever God's will is for us to do, we can do it by his grace. He enables us to do the things he calls us to do and commands us to do. We can love one another as he loves us. We can do that. You say, I cannot love the person. It's true. You can't. You can't really love anyone how God loves them. But because it's no longer you who live, but Christ in you, you can. Because it's him in you, not in your own strength. 
Paul gives thanks for those believers. He prayed they would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him in heaven. Now, a good point of application, I think, for this message is when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples were just shattered. They, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but him dying just threw them into a quandary. They had, this was not in the, in the plan. They were, before his death, they were thinking about, like, Lord, who's on your right hand and who's on your left hand in your kingdom? When you come into your kingdom, what do we get? Because we're, you know, on the ground floor. We, we get bonuses, right? And so they're thinking he's going to overcome the Romans, and they're going to just enter into this messianic reign. And, but it didn't go down like that, because Jesus died, and his body was prepared and was laid in a tomb of stone and sealed, and it was over. The dream was, was gone. And so after three days, there were two people who, disciples who were walking to Emmaus. The women had gone to the tomb and seen that it was open, but, open and empty, but they didn't believe. They said, man, and now his body's missing. It's crazy. That's awful. And they're thinking, he, we thought he was the redeemer. We thought he was going to be the one who saved us all. And, and they're sad, and this stranger comes up, stranger to them, but he knows him because it's Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And he says, hey, what, what's, what are you guys talking about that you're so sad right now? So here you have two believers in Jesus who are really sad, thinking that Jesus is dead when he's alive. That great power has been exerted to raise him from the dead, and yet they are defeated, and they are mourning, and they are trudging away from Jerusalem. They had come with expectancy and joy, and now they're walking seven miles and just like, oh man, what are we going to do? We put everything in this, and now it's over. Their eyes and ours too, they can be far removed from thinking of the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe because of our current situation. So after, the, after Jesus said, why are you so sad? And they explained, well, Jesus died and we expected him to be our Messiah. He says in Luke 24, 25, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. They were slow to believe, and we can be too. Are you slow to believe? Jesus then, he opens the scriptures to them, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. He says, all these things were speaking of the Christ. And after they arrived at Emmaus, the disciples, they said, Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus. They said, oh, please stay with us. I'm sure they really enjoyed this conversation, such a learned person who had such a knowledge of the scriptures, they were really just lapping it up. And Jesus decided to stay with them. Luke 24, verse 30 and 31, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. After spending time with Jesus, after inviting him, unwittingly, really, to stay with them, Their eyes were open. Now, were they walking along the road like this the whole way? He's like, hey. They're like, oh, yeah. 
How, how's it going? No, their eyes were open the whole time. They were able, their eyes were open. They were walking along. They were having a conversation. They weren't like a bunch of weirdos closing their eyes and walking around. But they were, their eyes needed to be opened. They had trusted in Christ. They believed he was the Messiah. And they were looking at this person who was speaking to them. But in a way, their eyes were shut and they needed Jesus to open their eyes so they could see, so they could be enlightened. And when they realized that this is Jesus, he vanished from their sight. Now, when Jesus went to heaven, God didn't have him just vanish. There were many a times where he, he appeared and then he vanished. But when he went to heaven, he went up in the sight of everyone. So that power could be demonstrated for everyone to see for all time. This is the power of God. And this is the power of God that's working toward you today. After he vanished from their sight, what did those believers do? They turned right around and hustled back to Jerusalem to tell the believers the revelation of Jesus that they had. So see, Christians need a revelation of Jesus. We need our eyes opened so that we can be thinking and praying according to his will. May that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians be true for each of us, that we would know him and the exceeding power that's working toward us who believe. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you, your power exceeds all that of man, all dominion, all authority. You, you are truly above all. You're glorious and awesome in all your ways. And we, we get really um, impressed by the, the machines and the creations of men and and the things that have been engineered to do wonderful feats, but Lord, they are nothing before you. Thank you that you have a plan that's better than our, our fantasies, our, our imaginations, that you are great and glorious and good. Help us to know these things, Lord. Change the way that we think, the way that we pray, that we would pray about these eternal blessings that you've already given us, that we would lay hold of them and walk in them, and so be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, renew our mind. Open our eyes. If we are like those disciples who are walking along sad, walking away from fellowship, Lord, that we would invite you in so that you might open our eyes so we can see clearly who you are and what you've done and the great, the great love and power and wisdom that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. We rejoice in you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.